name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. For our midweek Lenten services this year, we'll be considering the Apostles' Creed. And uh, really one of the main rationales for this is the Apostles' Creed is one of those creeds that we, we teach the children in the catechism and we learn it uh, as we learn the catechism and to learn about who our God is. And then traditionally, at least within the Lutheran tradition here in the United States, uh, more recently it's been used when the divine service is not being celebrated. That is, when we're not having the Lord's Supper, we say the Apostles' Creed. And when we are having the Lord's Supper, we say the Nicene Creed. And so you might have grown up like me, or like maybe in a congregation that rotates back and forth. And even here at Bethany years ago, that was the case. So if you ever like, you try to start saying one of the creeds and then you realize you're going down the wrong road pretty quick and you get back on. It happens a few places where you can kind of get off. And so I wanted to kind of focus in a little bit on the Apostles' Creed, specifically for our catechism emphasis for our Lenten meditations. Uh, a couple quick words about the Apostles' Creed. It's certainly not the oldest. And most of it is very common, uh, familiar, and similar to the, uh, the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed was about 100 years before it, give or take. Uh, it's around the, in the 400s, in the 5th century, where the Apostles' Creed came to be. And it's not really fighting off specific heresies like the Nicene Creed is. The Nicene Creed spends a lot of time really making clear the divinity of Jesus, the two natures of Christ, and slows down on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and spends a lot of time on unfolding who the Holy Spirit is and how that all works. But the Apostles' Creed just asserts the main points. And so in that way, it is more simple and therefore appropriate for the Catechism, because of what the Catechism is trying to do is teach the faith in a most simple way to ultimately children and new believers. And the Apostles' Creed does that well, as it boils down the Trinity and unfolds in three articles, the three main persons of the Divine Trinity. The first article, Father, regarding creation that we said a moment ago, uh, the maker of heaven and earth. Second article regarding the Son and our Redeemer. And we'll be unfolding that in the next two weeks. And the final two weeks of Lent, we'll be looking at the Holy Spirit, the one who makes us holy. That's uh, the third article of the Creed. So first for tonight, the first article, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. As we saw it put forth in our reading from Genesis 1, as God created all things, he simply spoke into creation from the beginning. He brought life and light into nothingness. Created man, then, after everything had been created, as if he were setting up creation specifically to put a crown on top. He was laying out all of the land, all of the water, all of the animals, all the vegetation, everything in the heavens above, all to be there for the joy and benefit of the crown of his creation, man, which he created last. In his image and likeness, he created them. He gives Eve then to Adam and therefore institutes the family and gives life. And as it said, right after Eve is given to Adam, it was very good because it is life-giving. As a side note here, I don't want to go down this road too far, but I can't talk about the creation at the beginning without at least a nod against evolutionism, which is, which is one of the teachings that's just running rampant in our culture today. It's being taught openly uh, in our schools and really, not our school, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to make clear. <laughs> it's not being taught in our schools. Uh, we actually, we do talk about it, though. So it's important to actually teach the kids what they're going to be facing when they get out into the, into the public schools and the high schools. 
but really any park that you go to, any, anything that's showing you, hey, here's a canyon here that, that, that developed over billions and billions of years or whatever it is, you're gonna see, you're gonna see footprints of evolutionism all around us. And built into the doctrine of evolutionism is the concept of, we call natural selection or the survival of the fittest, which necessitates death. So the premise of evolution is that we started with chaos and we work toward perfection. We evolve toward the good. And in order to become better and better, things have to die. The weak have to die. So in order to get toward perfection, death is a necessary evil, so to speak, on the way toward getting better and better in the process of evolutionism. Now, in contrast, our Lord creates perfect at the beginning. He gives life absent of death. He simply speaks and there is no chaos, no uncertainty, but purpose and order and institution from the very beginning, non-accidental, but intentional creation. And therefore also our entire, our lives are ordered, the way we are to live before our creator and toward one another in this life with all the institutions that he's given with life and family and marriage and all the rest. Not only did he create at the beginning, but he also continues to sustain. So one of the heresies of uh, deism is this idea that God created and they just bailed on creation. And it's called the, the clockmaker God, like he wound up the clock and it let earth run itself. But God is not involved in the day-to-day -day life of this world. And so stuff just happens, good or evil, God had nothing to do with it. But that's not the biblical picture that we have, where God is a part of this world, where the sun comes up because he allows it, he causes it. He feeds the birds, as we heard in our reading from Matthew 6. He clothes the lilies of the field. He takes care of everything. Nothing happens without him allowing it or bringing it about. He sustains his creation, daily giving all that is needed for life. And we are given to see all of it as a merciful gift from a loving Father. As we confessed, all this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. All we are and all we have is a gift from his merciful hand. And yet the words of Jesus in our gospel lesson might hit us a bit awkwardly this night, maybe for some of you, as Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. O oh, you of little faith, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not be anxious. As the war in Ukraine sends its ripples throughout the world, we likely might be growing anxious, to say the least. Inflation was already ticking up prices, and now it's likely to get much worse. How much worse? We don't know. How much longer will this go on? What else can go wrong? 
Will we find ourselves in the war too? It's just one ally misstep away. What will happen to the markets? Your retirement? What will happen if nukes get involved? What will happen to the food and water supplies? Will we be able to keep our families warm and fed? Or to put it differently, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? In our growing anxiety, the Lord Jesus hits us with the law and says to us, O you of little faith. Now what is little faith? We know that faith is nothing in itself. Faith always has an object. Faith has to be in something. Faith is always and only as strong as its object. It's what the faith is in that causes it to be great or small. So to be of little faith is to have faith in a small thing. Jesus knows us well, doesn't he? Our worry and anxiety exposes just how misplaced our faith is. As we have put our faith in ourselves, or our government, or our economy, or anything other than our Lord, we have put our faith in a small thing. Oh, you of little faith. In the Catechism, we confess, I believe God has made me and all creatures and still takes care of them. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me from danger and protects me and my family from evil. With our eyes of flesh, though, we worry. We look to the world, we look at our lives, and we panic. It's up to you, it seems, if you want to survive. For you stand alone in this chaotic world. If you want to survive, you better start stockpiling food yesterday. Build a bunker in your basement and start becoming a prepper. Yes, God provides, we think, but it's really up to me. After all, he helps those who help themselves, right? That's faith in a small thing. And anxiety will always creep back in, for your God is yourself. So our Lord Jesus turns us from the hopeless despair and anxiety of putting our faith in ourselves and turns us in repentance back to him. Seek first the kingdom of God, says Jesus, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The Lord turns us back to himself and his righteousness. His kingdom is no small thing. The kingdom of God is all that has been purchased and won by the blood of Christ, who rules as king, and it belongs to you by faith in Christ. And his righteousness is no small thing. He has made us righteous by his death for us and stands us before him with honor. 
Shame removed, sin forgiven, no reason to fear or grow anxious. He knows what we need and provides it for this life and for eternal life. Certainly, we pray for all the things of the first article of the Creed, health, food, and protection, and that's good. We should pray for those things. But faith clings to God for the promise of the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting in the face of all that our flesh sees and experiences. All this he does out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy, we confess in the Catechism. That includes the gifts that my flesh counts as good, the food, the clothes, the plenty, but it also includes those things that I don't always understand as good, those things that he has not given to me, the lack, the challenges, the suffering, and the sickness. By faith, I'm given to see all things in this life as gift from a loving and merciful Father. A father gives only good to his children, but a father also knows what is good, especially when the children don't. He gives what he knows to be good, especially forgiveness and life eternal hidden in the cross of Jesus when our eyes of flesh only see lack and suffering. I believe he has made me in all things and sustains all things all by gift. All this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. As one made righteous through Christ, you are given to see all things as gift from your loving God. Your anxiety exposes your faith in yourself or some other small thing. But by the gospel, you are turned to see all things as gift from your heavenly Father's divine goodness and mercy. And for all this, we thank and praise, serve and obey him. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. We stand.